Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Thanks for that. That was aggressive, and I appreciate it. So glad you're with us at the 11 a.m. Hey, real quick, you should already know this already, but next weekend, um, no services. We do this every year. Huge thank you to our volunteers as well as remembering those um, who've given the ultimate sacrifice. But then we're back on June 4th with a brand new series, How to Get Life Right and how to get it right if it's already not right, because either you've been there, um, you're there right now, you're gonna be there. And so um, don't miss this series. And seriously, during this past series that we're finishing today, um, I've maybe not heard more invite stories than I have over the last few weeks of, I invite a friend, a neighbor, and for real, it has changed a whole lot in a couple weeks. So 30 seconds of courage, invite somebody how to get life right. And Justin said this last week, but it's also our wacky weekends if you have kids. And so um, you're not to put pressure on you, but if they're not here, you will ruin their summer. So like, it's a big deal that you're here in June. Um, And so cannot wait for that. Invite somebody June 4th and enjoy next weekend. But today we are in the final part of this series um, that has been titled Brand New. And I started the series by asking this question. And the question was just this, what comes to your mind when you think of the term Christian? What comes to mind when you hear the term Christianity? And judging by a bunch of conversations I've had, not a lot that's good for a lot of you. Like it, the emotion, the what I experienced, what somebody did in Jesus' name, because what we've determined in this series is Christianity in a lot of ways in our current cultural context has a branding problem because there's been so much done that looks nothing like Jesus. A, a brand of Christianity that's synonymous with political affiliation or a denomination, or honestly this brand where you can rip verses out of context as this an excuse to unlove or mistreat other people that you disagree with. And in fact, here's what we said week one, and this is just a summary if you look at Barna Research or a bunch of other research. So this, these aren't my words if you wanna get mad at somebody. I didn't say this. Um, but this is kind of the predominant cultural view right now, specifically in the United States, um, about Christians. That they are judgmental, homophobic, political moralists who think they're the only ones who are right and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. And you're like, well, that's not true. I mean, maybe not. I'm just telling you that that's the view among those kind of on the outside looking in at faith. Or if you're like, well, you know, if we hold the truth, everybody should hate us. Mm. I mean, look at the life of Jesus who had a whole lot of truth and a whole lot of grace. And yet people that were nothing like Jesus were attracted to Jesus. So here's um, one of my quotes that this may have been worth coming for right here. In this movie, um, Hannah and Her Sisters, there's this character that makes this statement that I love that I think summarizes all of this, that if Jesus were to come back and saw all that was going on in his name, he'd never stop throwing up. <laughs> so you're welcome. And I, I've heard from so many of you in this series of, uh, with tears in your eyes of this is everything that I've felt 
but maybe haven't been able to articulate or agnostics that have been away for a long time and are at least starting to investigate because you're starting to realize that maybe what you experienced in Jesus' name had nothing to do with Jesus or those that walked away from the church for a decade and you're listening via unfiltered radio or online or podcasting right now. Because the brand of Christianity that so many have encountered looks nothing like what Jesus launched in the first century. And the problem is not the culture and everybody is against us. The problem is Christians. The problem is a brand where you believe the right things, but then you can somehow justify treating people however you want to treat people. Or or a brand of Christianity that somewhere along the way allowed Christians to kind of be on this every side of every issue and every movement using the same verses generally out of context from Leviticus. But you start looking at, as we said, of Jesus in the New Testament, you start looking at the gospel, you start looking at what Jesus represented, and it becomes, I think, unbelievably clear, like threateningly in some cases, or at least uncomfortably clear. One day Jesus gathers his guys right before he's about to be betrayed and crucified, and he says this, and you know the words, in John 13, 35, John records them, by this, think about all the things Jesus could have said, by this. All men are going to know that you are my disciples, literally followers of Jesus, if you love one another. That people should look at you in your home, in your neighborhood, in your context, your work culture, you know, where you're at in school, those people that you hang out with. And people on the outside should be able to look at you and point to you and go, I I don't believe what they believe and they're a little bit crazy and I don't really understand them. But I'm, I'm telling you, those people must be followers of Jesus simply because of how they treat other people. Can you imagine if that's what we were known for currently in our culture? That they could just identify us, not because of your you know, crazy bumper sticker or your you know, stick figures bowing down to a cross on the back of your minivan. Like they could identify you just because of how you treat people. One day Jesus was um, doing his thing kind of on his ministry tour and a group of guys come to him and they want to trap Jesus. And we've talked about this. Anytime you want to trap Jesus, it's going to end badly for you. And they're like, okay, Jesus, of all the law and the prophets, you know, the 613 some odd commands, there's, there's so much stuff. Like what, what's like the one command, the irreducible minimum? And they had an answer in mind, but you know, their whole deal is to back Jesus into a corner. And Jesus, without stuttering, without flinching, he's like to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second is like it. They're like, well, we didn't ask you for a second. Jesus is like, I don't care. It it doesn't matter if you didn't ask for a second. What you don't understand is this is really one. It's one cannot happen without the other. One is inextricably linked to the other. You can't do one without doing the other. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then before they could ask another question, like, oh, wait, Jesus just keeps on going. And I'm telling you, what Jesus says next, I don't know how we missed this. That all the law, verse 40, and all of the prophets hang on these two commands, to love God by loving your neighbor. And if you wanna, you wanna really love God, love your neighbor. And if you really wanna you know, love God, you know, love God, then, then you're going to do what God wants you to do toward the people in the context of your relationships and your neighborhood and the people that you don't like or, or your enemies or people on the other side or morally the people who don't agree with you. It means that every single time you pick up the Bible, every time you start to think, oh, I wonder if I can justify that, or I wonder if that's really what it says, or if you knew my story, if you knew what they did to, to me, every time you start to think about what about, what about, Jesus is like, this should be the filter for every decision. This should be the filter for every behavior. And don't you dare, 
use a block of scripture, your favorite verse or a passage to justify hurting or mistreating somebody else. Like the question in your marriage that's struggling a little bit with your adult kid that you don't know how to relate to right now, with those people out there that they, you just feel like they're undermining everything that you hold to, that individual who's hurt you so deeply and it's so easy for you to get four friends that are all yelling in your ear about what you're justified in doing, that, that this becomes the question in every interaction, every decision, every relationship. Not what are people telling me, not the herd mentality of culture. You can get away with anything. But this question, what does love demand of me? In that marriage, with that adult kid, in my workplace, with those neighbors, with, with, with what's happening culturally, in my like, you know, propensity to weaponize the scripture, what does love demand of me? And even if you're not prepared yet to, to really do what you, you know, know you should do with that question, you at least owe it to yourself to ask the question, what does love demand of you? In that situation, that context, what does love demand of you? So here's what I wanna do in a couple minutes is I, I want to try to describe as clearly as I can how extraordinarily brilliant what Jesus said was. And really, the extraordinary brilliance of this, that all of us know, all of us know the verses, but the extraordinary brilliance of this really comes from our, from our own experience. That every single person, this is what puts us all on an equal plane. You're not sure if you believe, you're investigating. I, I love that you're tuning in or you're here. But th this is religious, not religious. This is true of every single human being, that your life has been impacted by two categories of people, every single person. Like these two categories of people, depending on kind of what you've experienced, have either set you up in some cases for success, the parent you are, the marriage that you have, the, the dreams that you've pursued, the career that you have, like how you've been able to relate in relationship with other people, it, they've even either set you up or in some cases, it's something that you've kind of had to try to overcome. It's something that you're still trying to overcome. Some stuff that you're still trying to get by and compensate for you and, and compensate for in some ways because all of us have been influenced very deeply by two categories of people. And here's what's interesting. You have not been influenced them by them because of what they believe but you've been influenced in a really deep way. And the two categories of people are this, that you've been either influenced by people who have hurt you deeply, or you've been influenced by people who've loved you profoundly. Like your life has been directed, it's been led, it's been influenced, it's either been set up or you've been hindered by what category of people that you've been exposed to, but your life has been profoundly influenced and impacted by those who have hurt you deeply and those who've loved you profoundly. And isn't it true for some of us, the people who've hurt us deeply and what, honestly, there's so much angst in teaching this series, for some of them, they had impeccable theology. They believed all the right stuff. They knew all the right verses. They had an MDiv degree to their name and yet they wounded your soul. In some ways, they did some things that you've been trying to recover from for a decade, that there was part of how they interacted with you that just crushed your spirit. I mean, come on, right now to get like really personal, there's whole denominations struggling with scandals of men who have hurt children. They're in prison right now. And unfortunately, some of them not in prison right now. And those children were impacted by men who had impeccable theology. But a decade later, those children were not influenced by those men's theology. They were impacted by how they were treated. And your life has been impacted 
by those who've either hurt you deeply or on the other side, flip side of this, those who've loved you profoundly. And, and that was a parent, that was a, a foster mom, that was um, a small group leader or a coach, and you were exposed to them at just the right time, the right context, and they inspired you and they moved you and they were example of what it meant to love and what it meant to be in relationship and what it meant to encourage other people and live differently. And in some ways, they set your life up. Like they moved you to a place that it set you up for what God wanted to do and the parent that you would become and the parent or the, the, the husband or the wife that you would become and you parent and you lead and you're a boss out of the impact that they've had on your life because everybody is influenced more than anything else by the people who've hurt them deeply or loved them profoundly. I mean, you know this, right? I don't even need to tell you. But the people and how people have treated you has more to do with who you are than what you believe. And belief is important, but come on. How you have been treated trumps belief every single time. It's why I'm telling you, this is so profound. It is such a big deal. And it is the thing that we have to get right as followers of Jesus as a local church, because somewhere along the way, we have this shift from loving to just simply believing. To where we're just patting everybody on the back. Well, if you believe the right stuff, you have the right theology. If you hold to the right, you know, whatever, you, you have all the verses. And we're just content to believe the right stuff. But we know this. People don't really care what you believe if you don't care or love them. I mean, come on. Think about this in our current culture. If, if people would stop or followers would stop specifically arguing about what Jesus said and rather just did what Jesus said to do, the world, our culture, our neighborhoods would change. Like in the first century, and we've, we've talked about this in the series, Jesus introduced a brand new upside down subversive kingdom that was supposed to change and impact everything. I mean, Jesus didn't gather his followers and say this, a new command I give you, believe accurately. But for some of us, the brand of Christianity we grew up with we could have substituted that. They were, they were satisfied with that. Jesus didn't gather his followers and say, okay, I just, if you forget everything else, just remember this. By this, all men, all women, everybody's gonna know that you're my disciples. If you believe in correct theology, go. But for some of us, that was enough. And we could treat people however we wanted and do whatever we wanted. And Christians, I think, in a lot of cases are way too content to fist bump and high five each other on right belief or correct theology without impacting anything around them. Or honestly, on the other side of that, they have impacted things around them. And they've actually done more damage to the cause of Christ and the message of Jesus than you can even imagine because of how they've treated other people with their incredible theology. Like, listen, you start to consume yourself, as we talked about in the series, with, with following Jesus, with being a disciple of Jesus. You're not content until you make an impact with people around you. You're not content until you make a difference with people around you. And Jesus told us how to do that. I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. That's how you do that. Like this is the reason that Jesus dealt with every single individual differently. If you look at the scriptures where sometimes it can almost feel like Jesus, you're a little schizophrenic, you're all over the place, you're inconsistent. Like everybody you talk to, you dealt with differently because Jesus always dealt with people based on their stories. Like have you ever met somebody and initially like you, you know, you know Jesus loves them, but you don't really like them that much. 
And the outside, you're like, I just, I just don't connect with that person. Like, I started the series making fun of Dallas Cowboys fans. So that seems an appropriate way to end the series. So, like, you meet me, you're like, I just can't stand any of them. Or honestly, my friend Gavin is here this weekend. It works with me and our staff. And like, I just, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So I don't like anybody in the NFC South. You're Atlanta Falcons fan. I just don't like you. And then you meet somebody and you're like, well, they're not all annoying. Like they're like, there's some, and you just, you know, somebody it's personal and at a more legit level with kind of real issues in our life. Like you don't like somebody, you're struggling with somebody. And all of a sudden you sit down and hear their story and it changes everything. It changes how you feel about them. It changes what you previously thought about them. I mean, this answers the question why Jesus was seemingly inconsistent. Like he's thief on the cross. The thief has followed Jesus for like 30 seconds. He's like, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. And then there's the story of this guy, the rich young ruler. You can go look for it for yourself in the New Testament. And he's like, how do I follow Jesus? He's like, sell all your possessions and follow me. What? Like, why is Jesus so inconsistent? Why is Jesus seemingly all over the place? Because Jesus understood they were two different people with two different backgrounds and two different contexts, and two different stories, and two different hearts. And Jesus dealt with every single individual personally, which is exactly what Jesus followers should do. Listen, just real quick. This is exactly what the church should do. Rather than throwing a policy on somebody, this is why the church, if it's not messing, if it's not seemingly inconsistent, well, like, why did you do that? And then you did this over here and that just doesn't seem, because that's exactly what Jesus did because every single individual is different with a different story, a different context and a different place on their journey with a different heart. And the church that is willing to fully follow Jesus into the mess is gonna seem inconsistent and all over the place because we're not just making a blanket statement for all people, all times with different stories and hearts. We're dealing with them individually because that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's what we've been called to do. Imagine if we just threw everything else aside, all of our agendas, and just ask that question. What is, what is love demand of me? In this situation, with this individual, with all the things that I feel like I could get by with or I'm justified in doing and saying, what does love demand of me? And so as we end, here's what I wanna do. I just wanna give you three statements because for five weeks, I've dealt with kind of the macro level of what we need to do in terms of our culture and the difference that it would make. And, and I just, I wanna end by giving you three statements of what personally we need to do if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, you don't have to do any of this. You're not accountable to this. You, you never signed on to following Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like personally to ask and then answer the question, what does love demand of me? This is what it, this is what it requires of us. And the first thing is this. If you ask the question, what does love demand of me? The first one is that you don't do anything that's gonna hurt you. Paul was writing to a church in Corinth and we talked about this before, but they, they were off the rails. Like it was like, whatever you can think of, that's bad, it was, it was worse than that. And Paul writes to them as a reminder and says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That no longer are you going to a temple making a sacrifice, now God is in you who lives in you, who's been given to you by God, that you're not, you don't belong to yourself. And then verse 20, for God bought you with what? Let's try that one more time for the other 70% of you. God bought you with what? A high price. That meaning the value of anything is determined by the price that somebody's willing to pay. And that literally God the Father gave up his son to redeem you, to reconcile you 
that no matter what your past looks like, what you've done, what you're saying to yourself, what somebody else said to you, that you are worth what God was willing to give up for you, which is Jesus. That is your identity. That is who you are. And he's going, come on. I want you to live your life worthy of that. I want you to see yourself as you actually are so that you would honor God with your body, honor your father in heaven with your life. And if we're a follower of Jesus and we really are asking that question, what what does love demand of me? What does it look like to live my life like that? It's not to buy into the cultural lie that I think a lot of us are susceptible to, that I can do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I'm cool. And the reality is that there is never anything that you can do that hurts you that's not gonna hurt somebody else. And if I'm gonna love the way Jesus has called me to love, I'm not gonna do anything that's gonna hurt myself because if I hurt me, if you hurt you, you hurt somebody that your heavenly father loves. You can't hurt you without hurting your heavenly father any more than your kids can't hurt themselves without hurting you. That, That when you hurt you, you hurt people who love you. When you hurt you, no matter what it is, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you hurt people who are depending on you. And even if you could do it in a vacuum and somehow nobody else is gonna be impacted, anytime you hurt you, you hurt your heavenly father and he is not angry with you, he is heartbroken. And we've said over and over again that a lot of times if we're living in a place that's unhealthy, incremental change isn't gonna do it. You need to do something drastic. You need to do something aggressive, like whatever it takes. I need to get into counseling. I need to tell somebody. I need to get into a group, but I need to do whatever I've got to do to not hurt myself because that's what love demands of me. The second commitment, the second answer to this question is don't do anything that's going to hurt other people. And we've kind of beat this throughout this whole series. And I'm not talking about military. I'm not talking about law enforcement. I'm not talking about self-defense. I think the New Testament is really clear about that. But there's not any individual that you're eyeball to eyeball with that Jesus did not die for. And I'll just be honest, man, the more I try to follow Jesus and hone in on this, and I've done such a terrible job at so many moments, but this is something that more and more practically I come back to again and again, where sometimes you have to kind of remind yourself with certain people, they are made in the image of God. And they have extraordinary worth. And I don't think like them and they don't think like me and we don't believe the same things and I don't really understand them or get them and it's hard sometimes. And they, you might feel like they're undermining everything that you're holding to, but they are made in the image of God and don't we dare use theology or a verse to excuse mistreating or hurting somebody else who's made in the image of God, somebody for whom Christ died. Love demands that we don't ever intentionally hurt somebody else, like just really practically, that, that we, don't, we don't cheat somebody else. We don't lie to somebody else and, and non-verbally communicate to them that they're not worthy of the truth, that we don't lack integrity. We don't lack character. We don't blame shift. We don't talk about people behind their back or on social media because somehow they're removed so we don't think they have a soul. We don't tempt, we don't pressure Like that's what love demands of us. James 5.16 says this rather terrifying verse. That there's some points where you need to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's the word? Healed. Healed. That there's certain moments where as long as you're excusing it, you're not healing from it. 
which we talked about in week three, that sometimes if we're gonna encourage one another, and this is specifically to followers of Jesus and people in the context of relationship to go, listen, I don't think this is gonna end well. I don't think this is gonna go a place that you want it to. I think you're undermining your own joy, your own peace, your own contentment. And so I just wanna encourage you. I think this is gonna go off the rails. And sometimes it requires confession. And sometimes it requires loving confrontation, but never out of self-righteousness that lacks self-awareness never out of this desire to wound, but always out of a desire to preserve the relationship to go, come on, we're followers of Jesus. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Don't do anything that's gonna hurt you and don't do anything that's gonna hurt somebody else with your body, with your emotions, with what you're moving after, with what you're self-medicating with, with how you're talking about other people. And come on, if followers of Jesus just did that in our current cultural moment, the culture would change. Don't do anything that's gonna hurt somebody else. Don't do anything that's gonna hurt you. And then thirdly, don't be mastered by anything. That's what love demands of us. That's what love demands of us in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our culture. Because whenever you are mastered by anything, you give up loving somebody. Anytime you are controlled or mastered by anything, there is somebody around you, whether you realize it or not, who suffers. It's why as we follow Jesus and none of us are gonna get this perfectly right, but, but we've just, we gotta be aware of this, that nobody should have to compete with our past. Nobody should have to compete with our anger. Nobody should have to compete with our temper, with our porn addiction, with our insecurity that's sabotaging the relationships around us. Nobody should have to compete with like just things that they're morally neutral. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're sabotaging relationships. Nobody should have to compete with our gaming or with our hobby that's like stealing from the things that matter most. Don't be mastered by anything. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Not everything is beneficial. I mean, there's a ton of stuff I could do. I could get away with. I could find a verse in Exodus. I could, you know, I could somehow, everybody else does this. This is normative. Not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. Like there's a bunch of stuff I could get by with. There's a bunch of stuff that's okay. It's morally neutral. There's nothing evil about it. There's nothing that off the rails. Nobody maybe is even gonna call me on it. But here's what Paul says. And this is why the standard of what Jesus introduced is such a big deal because you're not gonna find a verse for this. So there's 3,000 things you can do and it's not in Romans. There's a bunch of stuff you can get by with. Just have a conversation with somebody, just grab a commentary. But this is where the standard is elevated where Paul says this, don't be, what's the word? Mastered by anything. Because when you are mastered or controlled by anything, it impacts the relationships of your life and you can't be mastered and controlled and love the way that God has called you to love. And listen, I think it's just a healthy activity to every once in a while, even when you don't have to, to say no to you anyway. Like I don't have to, but I just feel like this maybe has too much time, too much attention, so I'm just gonna say no to it because the reality is if you say yes to you too much, there's certain areas of your life where eventually you can't say no to you anymore. Don't be mastered by anything, whatever that thing is. And if you need to get help, if you need to reach out to somebody, if you need to take some kind of extreme step because you're not incrementally gonna move yourself toward health, then do it. But don't allow anything to control you. And here's what the scripture says. 
that the more you're filled with the Spirit of God, which I know if you're outside of the church or faith, that's just weird, but we're filled with the Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in us. And one of the byproducts of the Spirit of God at work in our life as we try to follow Jesus is self-control. So whatever it is to get really personal, it's like, I just, I just feel like I have to have a drink. It's not a big deal. Nobody's gonna call you on it, you know, but I, I just need a drink. I just feel like I have to. You might be mastered by something. It's, it, it's taken up a ton of your time. And it's, again, it's not, it's not evil. It's not a sin. You can get by with it, but you're just kind of controlled by it. It's just eating up your time. It's taking away from other really valuable things. And come on, can I just kind of lift us up a little bit in terms of our vision? You're a follower of Jesus. We have a little bit of time. We have a little bit of space. We have a little bit of these moments to make an impact and we have a divine destiny on our life. And so there's a ton of stuff I can get away with. There's a ton of stuff that I can, I, I can you know, tell you all the reasons this is good, it's beneficial, but here's what constantly kind of is a weight on my soul in a good way is that I have a couple decades maybe to parent my kids, to love my wife well and make an impact in the lives of people that's gonna last for all of eternity. And there's stuff that I can get by with, but I'm just not gonna do, I'm not gonna be mastered by it. I'm not gonna be controlled by it because I'm a follower of Jesus with a divine destiny and calling to make a difference with this little bit of time. And so because of that, I'm gonna give up things to do that. And so whatever it is, Paul says this in Roman, every weight, Every entanglement, every sin, literally, every distraction, yeah, you can get by with it. If it's controlling you, if, you, if it's mastering you, get rid of it. Anything, and I know this is, I know this is a big deal and I, it, I'm coming on strong, but listen, it, it means that you should let go of, you should give up anything that competes with your savior. And here's how we know, man, to just make it real, real personal the thing that's kind of maybe right now dominating you and controlling you, you haven't really even seen it. This is the question to ask. What have people brought to your attention? What have people brought to your attention? Like, what, what have people said? That's the thing. That potentially is what is mastering you and what is controlling you. And to answer the question of what love demands is, I'm not gonna do anything intentionally that's gonna hurt me. Because anytime I hurt me, it's hurting my heavenly father. And anytime I hurt me, it's hurting the people around me. And I'm not gonna do anything to intentionally hurt people around me because I've been called to love my neighbor even when they are hard to love the way that Christ has loved me. And I'm not going to be mastered by anything because the moment I'm controlled by anything, I give up loving someone. And listen, in our current cultural context, which is why I wanted to do this series, in a lot of ways, We've lost leverage. And by leverage, I mean influence. We've lost leverage in some cases in our homes. We've lost leverage in our communities. We've lost leverage in our city. We've lost leverage in our current culture because we lose leverage in culture any time we leverage anything other than love. And you look at the brand that Jesus introduced in the first century when he was on a hillside and it was 110 degrees. And he's like, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. And I want you guys to go and change the world. And the only thing they had was scraps of writings and this command of love one another. They had no Bible to beat people over the head with. 
They had no political standing. They couldn't go out and vote. They couldn't take Israel back. They had no platform, no influence, no money. And we know this from history. They literally caused people to abandon pagan religion and worship. They toppled an empire and people were drawn to the movement of Jesus rather than repelled. And all they had was this command to love others the way that God had loved them. That's the brand that Jesus has called us to emulate. That's the baton that we've been called to take in our generation. And if we do that, people would feel drawn to us rather than coerced. They would feel inspired rather than condemned. And the individual, the person, the churches that decide to take Jesus seriously, that decide to take this seriously, that decide to follow Jesus in this way, I'm telling you, we will have more leverage and influence in our culture than we can even imagine. Because you know this already, right? I don't care how good a preacher you are, you cannot preach people into loving Jesus. You cannot preach people into loving their spouse. You cannot preach people and persuade people out of habits. You cannot legislate children to honor their parents. You cannot legislate people out of addiction. The way it happens is it is seen. And when we see it, it has the power to change everything. So what if we just decided to throw everything else aside, every other agenda aside, all of our Sunday school theology, all the stuff where I'm not sure and what about, and I, you know, I've always been able to justify. And what if we just as a church began to ask this question personally and then corporately, what does love demand of us? What is love, what is love demand of us? And I'm telling you, if we did that in our context, in our city, heck, in the United States, God would do something to change things around us in ways that we cannot even imagine. But it starts with you. And it starts with me and it starts with that question. What does love demand of me? And wherever you're at, online, via radio, in the house, would you just stand with me right now? And, and if you're watching or listening right now, I'd love for you to pray with me in this moment. But over the house, I just wanna pray for you for just a second before CC Music comes. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you so much for what you've done in this series. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. What, Lord, we see all throughout the New Testament is that you would take, Lord, what is kind of out there, what could, we could easily miss. And I pray that you would make it so even uncomfortably specific and personal to us right now. And God, you would just give us clarity around that question of what, what is your love demand of us in our circumstance, in our situation, in our context? And God, I pray that you would move through this church. I pray that you would move through this movement, that we would take this seriously. And in the days and the weeks and the months ahead, that you would do something through us in our community, our city, beyond what we can even imagine. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? 
you can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.